This morning we come to the end of John's Gospel, and what we find is a return to the beginning. In John chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. And now in the final verses of the final chapter, Jesus says to those same disciples, follow me. Of course, a lot has happened since that first call to follow. Jesus has revealed his glory. He's done that supremely through his death and resurrection. Things are not the same as they were back in chapter 1. Jesus has done the history-changing work that he came to do. But while the situation has changed, Jesus' call to his disciples has not changed. Here, at the end of John's Gospel, he renews the call to follow him. And this call from Jesus is for you and me as well. And as we'll see, obeying this call is going to take a unique shape for each of us. We all receive the same call to follow, but what following Jesus looks like in practice will not be exactly the same for all of us. So let's turn to John chapter 21. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 1091. Sorry, 1090. And the large print Bible is 1687. Last week, in the first part of chapter 21, we saw Jesus remind the disciples of the mission he had given them. They were to fish for people. They were to bring men and women into his eternal kingdom. And Jesus underlined the fact that they could not do that mission without him. He's the one who makes the mission a success. And then Jesus showed his disciples his desire to care for them personally. He did that by cooking them breakfast on the beach and serving them himself as they sat together on the sand. It was a beautiful picture of Jesus' personal care. And as we read on now this morning, we find Jesus showing that care in a very specific way as he singles out one of the disciples and he deals with some unfinished business. So we're going to pick up at John chapter 21, verse 15, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter, which is also the end of the book. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, 
and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down... I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is God's Word. And it shows us, while we're all called to follow Jesus, what that looks like will take a unique shape for each one of us. Now, of course, there are things that are exactly the same for all of us. We're all called to the same mission. We're all commissioned to be Jesus' witnesses in this world. And we all have the same message. The message of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. And as Jesus' witnesses, we are all called to obey him and to love one another. Those things are the same for every single one of us. None of us can opt out of those responsibilities. So the fundamentals are unchanging, and they are non-negotiable. In that sense, we all follow Jesus in the same way. That's taken for granted in this passage. But what we are also shown here is that as followers of Jesus, we will not all have the same background, the same personal history. And we will not all follow Jesus in the same circumstances. And so our own particular service for Jesus will not look exactly the same as anyone else's. The best way to see what I'm trying to get at is to go straight to the opening verses here, which show us some of us are called to follow Jesus on the other side of dramatic failure. Peter has a big personality. Simon Peter, that is. He's not just, he's just a naturally bold and he's a naturally forceful kind of person. Peter wears his heart on his sleeve. He's all in, for better or for worse. Back in chapter 6, when many of Jesus' disciples turned back from following him, when Jesus asked the twelve if they wanted to leave too, Peter was first to speak up. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. An amazing confession from Peter. 
Then in chapter 13, when Jesus knelt to wash the disciples' feet, it was Peter who wouldn't have it. Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. But then when Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, Peter changed his tune entirely. He spun on a sixpence and said, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In chapter 20, when Mary found the empty tomb and told Peter and John, they both ran to the tomb, but it was Peter who charged right on into the tomb to investigate, to see for himself up close. And the passage we looked at last week, it was Peter who led the other disciples out on the lake for a fishing trip. And then, when he realized that Jesus was standing on the shore, Peter abandoned the others and the boat and the fish to dive in the water and swim to Jesus. Peter's all cylinders firing all of the time. First in one direction, then in another. Sometimes the results of that are great. Sometimes they're not so great. That's the way Peter is. But here... There's some unfinished business Jesus has to deal with between him and Peter. In chapter 13, after he washed their feet, Jesus told the disciples he was going away. Jesus said he had a path to travel that only he could travel. Jesus was talking about the cross. He was going to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. That was something only Jesus could do. But Peter disagreed. Peter was sure that actually he, Peter, could do that. And John 13 tells us what happened. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter was cocky. He was full of self-confidence. But Jesus knew how far Peter would get with his big talk. Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Whatever was going on in Peter's head exactly at that time, the outcome was that as Jesus was being tried by the Jewish leaders, Peter stood in the courtyard warming himself at a fire with Jesus' enemies. And three times, Peter publicly denied that he was even a disciple of Jesus. And now, here on the beach in Galilee, on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, that massive failure by Peter is the elephant in the room. Peter's denial happened beside a fire. And here, as they sit on the beach beside another fire, Jesus confronts the issue. Look again at verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. What does Jesus mean when he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? I think he means, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? After all, that is how Peter used to present himself. He was the man of steel disciple. He was the disciple who would bravely go where no other disciple would go for Jesus. Maybe the others couldn't hack it when things got tough, but Jesus could rely on Peter. Peter was the rock, after all. Peter would never let Jesus down. Peter loved Jesus more than the other disciples loved Jesus. But Peter did let Jesus down. He disowned Jesus publicly and repeatedly and with curses. And here, publicly, in front of the other disciples, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you still want to make those big, bold claims about yourself? And notice how Peter responds. He says, yes, Lord, I love you, but there is no bravado anymore. There's no boasting anymore that he can do what no one else can do. Jesus has mentioned the others, but Peter makes a point of not comparing himself to the others. That's what he used to do, but now Peter simply says, you know that I love you, Lord. I know I haven't shown it. In fact, what I've shown is the opposite. I failed you big time, but I do love you. You know that, don't you? I have nothing to be proud of, but I am one of your sheep. I'm a wayward sheep, but I know your voice. You are my good shepherd. And in response, Jesus says, feed my lambs. This is amazing grace from Jesus. Here, publicly, Jesus reinstates Peter. He doesn't even mention Peter's failure. Now, there's no doubt Peter's failure is on everyone's mind. Jesus doesn't have to mention it. Everyone knows Peter's failure is the background to this conversation. But Peter has dropped his bravado. He has let go of his pride. And Jesus doesn't make him squirm. And neither does Jesus say, well, you're back in, but you better watch it. One more false move and that's it, Peter. No, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. Peter is to take that bold, all-cylinders-firing personality of his and use it not to show everyone how outstanding he is. He's to use that personality of his to tend Jesus' flock, to pastor the church. That's what Jesus means when he says, feed my lambs. It means take care of my people. There could be no better way of showing that Peter's been forgiven and accepted. Jesus entrusts him with the care of the church. And that will require all of Peter's boldness. 
We know from earlier in John's gospel, the flock will be attacked by savage wolves, false teachers who try to destroy the church. Shepherding the flock will require boldness from Peter and also great tenderness. It will involve going after lost and wandering sheep and tenderly restoring them, just as Jesus is doing here with Peter. Now, Jesus himself is the true shepherd. Later in the New Testament, Peter will call Jesus the chief shepherd. The flock belongs to Jesus, not Peter or anyone else. But what grace from Jesus to take Peter the failure and make him an under-shepherd of Jesus' flock. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus asks Peter the same question two more times. And Jesus gives the same gracious commission to Peter two more times. And some people have noticed there are slight variations in the wording each time. That's noticeable in English. It's even more noticeable in Greek. That's the language that's behind our English translations. In Greek, Jesus uses different words for love here. He uses different words for sheep. He alternates the word feed with the words take care of. And Peter uses different words for know. And when we notice that, we might wonder, is there some significance to it? That variation in the wording. Well, I don't think there is. It's a feature of the Bible in general that if there are several different words that say the same thing, the Bible will tend to use those variations. And that generally biblical style is very noticeable in John's gospel in a lot of places. So then, if the slight variation in wording isn't significant... Why does Jesus ask Peter the same question three times? And why does he give him the same commission three times? Jesus does it surely to show that Peter's reinstatement is just as public and just as emphatic as Peter's failure. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so here, publicly in front of the disciples, Jesus announces his reinstatement of Peter three times. That's obviously awkward for Peter. Verse 17 says he's hurt by the fact that Jesus does this three times. But Jesus isn't trying to hurt Peter. Jesus is showing grace here. Grace that rises to match and to overcome even the threefold failure of Peter. And for some in this room, the call to follow Jesus will take a similar shape for you. We've all failed Jesus. But maybe you failed him in some spectacular way some way that really got people's attention. Or maybe you failed Jesus in some way that brought really catastrophic consequences into your life and into the lives of your family and friends. 
Some of us are called to follow Jesus on the other side of dramatic failure. And if you are in that category, this passage does not downplay your failure, doesn't sweep your failure under the carpet and ignore it. This passage asks you a probing question. Where is your heart now? You have failed Jesus, but do you love Jesus? Not like Peter used to, with a fair bit of boasting and pride about just how much you love Jesus. Do you love him humbly? Acknowledging your failure. Owning up to it. Setting aside your pride. Trusting simply that he knows you and he accepts you as one of his sheep. Not a superhero sheep. Just an ordinary sheep. Accepted by God's grace alone. If you have come to love Jesus humbly like that, with a love that celebrates him, not yourself, then you're called to follow Jesus on the other side of your failure. This passage assures you your failure doesn't mean the end of your usefulness for Jesus. And so will you accept his call to move forward? Humbled by your failure, yes, but not useless because of it. Will you accept the call not to try and elbow your way back into what you did before, but to take up whatever new opportunity to serve that Jesus will set in front of you? This is not saying, by the way, that everyone who fails dramatically is then called to be a pastor. In Peter's case, this commission Jesus gives is specific to him. Your own failure probably didn't take the same form as Peter's did. And so your future service probably won't take the same form either. But if you will come to Jesus without pride you will receive the same call to follow that Peter received. Some of us are called to follow Jesus on the other side of dramatic failure. And some of us are called to follow through significant suffering. Now, it just so happens that this applies to Peter's situation as well. But it's distinct Peter's failure is in the past. Peter's suffering will be in the future. Look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. We might read this and wonder, okay, verse 19 
says that verse 18 is talking about the kind of death Peter will die. So, what kind of death is verse 18 talking about? Is this about death in a care home? Being dressed by someone else and led by someone else? Well, it's helpful for us to realize that the phrase, stretch out your hands, was used in the ancient world to refer to crucifixion. So if we read verse 18 with that in mind, the verse is talking about Peter being tied or nailed to the cross beam of the cross and then led away to death carrying that cross beam. That is the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And in fact, the historical evidence indicates that by the time John is writing this gospel, Peter had already been martyred in Rome under the emperor Nero. That was about 30 years after Jesus said these words to Peter. So here, as Jesus calls Peter to follow him, Jesus also confronts Peter with the personal cost for Peter. And then, Peter served Jesus for three decades, knowing what was coming. We hear that, and we assume Peter must have felt dread. And maybe he did to some extent, but the emphasis here is on glory. Verse 19 says, Peter's significant suffering is how Peter will glorify God. Jesus traveled the road of suffering ahead of Peter. We read earlier this morning from John 13, Jesus' explanation that Peter could not follow until Jesus had traveled the road first, alone. But now the chief shepherd has gone ahead, he has died to save the sheep, and now Peter can follow. And later, no doubt, with these words from Jesus in his mind, Peter was able to write, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter was called to follow Jesus on a path of significant suffering. And for some of us here, following Jesus will involve that same path. I don't say that lightly at all. I wouldn't dare say it unless Jesus said it. But he does say it here. He says, God is glorified when you persevere in following him on a path that leads through suffering. Now that suffering is unlikely to take the form of death by crucifixion. but it may well take the form of painful bereavement. It may take the form of chronic illness or devastating betrayal or unjust dismissal. Are you willing to follow Jesus through that? 
am I? Are you willing to cling to him and trust him as you travel that path? Because you know Jesus has gone ahead of you. He has endured hell for you. None of us who belong to Jesus will have to suffer hell. He took that step alone so we wouldn't have to. But are you and I willing to follow on just a few of Jesus' steps? Whatever bit of his path he asks us to follow him on. And will we follow him courageously? Even if our bit of the path seems to go on and on. Here in our passage, Peter has been given insight into his own future. He knows it will be glorious and painful at the same time. And so it's probably not too surprising that as Peter looks back over his shoulder and as he sees John following him and Jesus down the beach, Peter wants to know what's in store for John. Verse 21, Peter asks Jesus, Lord, what about him? In the context of this passage, the word following is significant. It's used about John in verse 20. And yes, at one level, it simply tells us John is walking down the beach after Jesus and Peter. But considering what we've heard about Peter's public denial of Jesus and his public reinstatement by Jesus, there is a little reminder here that John didn't fail in that spectacular way. John's path has been different from Peter's. John hasn't stopped following Jesus. John doesn't need a public reinstatement. And Peter is intrigued. Peter wants to know if John's future path is going to be similar or different from his. So Peter asks, Lord, what about him? What have you got in store for him? Will it be less painful than what I'm going to face? Will his path be easier? And Jesus' answer is basically, mind your own business, Peter. Look at verse 22. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know his testimony is true. As John writes these words, he, of course, has by this point lived the path Jesus had for him. Most of it anyway. John writes as a very old man who has been preaching these truths for many years. And now, near the end of his life, John has written it all down for us. And he takes the chance to correct a misunderstanding he's heard about. Jesus did not promise that John would stay alive until the second coming. But here is what it meant for John to follow Jesus. 
It meant a long life of bearing faithful witness to the truth about Jesus. Culminating in the written witness of this book. This book that will remain until Christ returns. John shows that some of us are called to follow Jesus by a long life of steady, faithful witness. John, by all accounts, is not a spectacular man, like Peter. John is low-key. Throughout this book, he's been in the background most of the time. And it seems that John died quietly and peacefully at the end of a long life. John and Peter are very often mentioned together in the Gospels, but it seems they could hardly be more different from one another. They both followed Jesus. They both had the same mission, the mission Jesus gave to all his followers, to spread the message of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, to obey Jesus and love one another while they spread the message. And that is the same for us all as followers of Jesus. And as Peter and John's lives show us, while we all share the same mission, the path our life takes as we follow Jesus is going to look different for each of us. We all have different ways by which we glorify Him. As we've seen, for some of us, it will be coming back to Him after dramatic failure to humble ourselves before Him. Jesus will be glorified in our lives as He displays His wonderful, far-reaching grace in our situation. For some of us, we will glorify Him as we persevere in trusting Him and praising Him even through great suffering. Some of us will glorify Him through a long and uneventfully faithful life. Those aren't the only three options, of course. No two of us will have lives that look exactly the same. Just like no two of us have personalities or temperaments that are exactly the same. No two of us will be called to glorify God in exactly the same circumstances. But what's important is that we follow Jesus in our own circumstances, with our own personality and our own temperament. That we follow him being mindful of the very specific pitfalls that come with our own personality and our own circumstances. And being mindful of the opportunities that come with those things too. Each of us is called to follow Jesus and we don't worry about looking over our shoulder at others who are following. We don't look over our shoulder and we don't ask Jesus, well, what about him? What about her? What are you doing with him? What's going on with how you're leading her? We know what Jesus says to us when we start doing that kind of thing. He gives us the same polite but firm response he gave to Peter. What is that to you? You must follow me. 
I know what I'm doing with him or her. And you, my dear friend, don't need to know. Mind your own business. And follow me in your circumstances. Now, this is not saying that we ignore our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not saying we should never ask each other difficult questions or get involved in each other's lives. Of course, that is part of our life together as the family of God. The New Testament has lots to say about that in other places. But the point here is that as we serve Jesus together, as we follow him side by side, building our lives on the same truth, holding to the same gospel, the paths of our lives will take different turns. We're not all called to faithfulness in the same situations. And we don't need to worry about that. God has a unique path for you to walk. He has ways for you to glorify Him as you walk that path. You can trust Him to deal with others on the path He has for them. What we need to remember is that Together we follow the eternal Lord. When we read the final verse of John's gospel, it might seem like a slightly embarrassing exaggeration. Verse 25 says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We might read that as an exaggeration from John, but I doubt that's what's going on. We said at the start of this that the end of John's gospel is a return to the beginning. And we've seen one aspect of that as Jesus renews his call to the disciples from chapter 1, the call to follow him. That was in the second half of chapter 1. But here... In the final verse of his gospel, John is taking us right back to his introduction. The first verse of John's gospel told us, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, was already there in the beginning. He was there before creation. And it was through Jesus that all things were made. It was the same eternal Lord who came from the Father, who took on human flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Jesus we have just met and watched and listened to in John's gospel is the eternal word of God. And so it is no exaggeration at all for John to close his gospel by reminding us of that fact. It is no exaggeration at all for John to point out that Jesus, the eternal Lord, did many other things as well as the things John has written down for us. Of course, the whole world is too small to hold the full record of the glorious works of our Lord. From before creation to the day John put his full stop at the end of this gospel, 
and stretching on into the eternal future. Of course, the world is too small to hold all of that. And as you and I consider that truth, aren't we left to wonder at the incredible reality that this eternal one so loved us that he came and died for us? That he has promised to come back for us? And that in the meantime, he invites us to follow him. We are blessed to a degree we might never fully understand. But surely the little we do understand gives us reason to worship our eternal Lord. And so we come together from all our different circumstances, with all our different personal histories, with all our different present weaknesses and abilities and personalities, we come together committed to following him. And we worship him with one voice because he is worthy. Because we have life in his name. And because his wonderful works will never end. So let's respond to John's gospel as a whole, not just this last section. Let's respond by worshiping our risen Lord together now as we sing, King forevermore.
To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.